Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you for taking the time to join us uh, every week at the same time on the program. We are so grateful to you, our faithful partners who are uh, getting behind us both in your prayer, your support, uh, your encouraging cards and letters. I know we're breaking new ground. For those of you who are just tuning in and you may have been hearing us say some things that have perked your attention and uh, uh, maybe different than you've heard before, let me say to you that if you've missed some of these things that have le- helped me lay the groundwork over the last, I think, 70-some, maybe 80 weeks of teaching on the book of Revelation, that you can go back to our YouTube page and uh, you can get caught back up by simply going back. We have dealt with chapter by chapter, verse by verse, dealing with the book of Revelation, uh, trying to show you uh, how much of what we believed has been in our future is not in our future, uh, but has already been fulfilled. That to me would be incredibly good news to realize that a lot of these catastrophes and judgments uh, that uh, uh, we have thought were in our future are not in our future. You know, some things ought to just by common sense clue us into the fact that this stuff cannot be in our future. For one thing, I was thinking the other days I was reading the book of Revelation, many of these battles and wars that you see uh, seemingly fought in the book of Revelation are fought with horses. Uh, That ought to tell us something, that it had some relevance to a first century people, because if we were fighting battles today, we would not be fighting them with horses. That ought to be the first clue if you're looking at them uh, even in natural understanding and natural eyes that uh, uh, it had to have some relevance to battles that were actually fought with horses and with swords and so on. Uh, But uh, let me just say to you that, uh, like I said, if you've missed some of this, you can go back and uh, you can go back and and watch it again on YouTube and uh, just simply Google my name and go to YouTube and you'll find our channel. Also, there's a podcast. iTunes hosts our podcast and you can go sign up for our podcast and you can get the audio from these programs delivered straight to your uh, smartphone. Also, there's an RSS feed for Android devices, and you can go straight to our website and click on the little icon there, and it will help you to be able to hear it on your Android device. So there's so many ways to get caught up with this. And you know, I think before, uh, uh, you know, at least be fair enough to me uh, to not just criticize one piece of what I'm saying without getting the context of everything I'm saying. Because I believe we're consistently showing you how especially uh, the judgments of God fit with the fulfillment of old covenant ideas. If we don't, we're not going to understand the eschatology of grace at all because while we're, uh, you know, a lot of guys have grabbed and they understand and I get it. They understand the piece of it. We're, we're not under law, we're under grace and that God's not mad with us. And we preach that, but yet uh, they're not answering the questions that arise in people's minds about, well, what about this stuff in the book of Revelation? Well, that's what we're trying to answer because there's a lot of stuff that we uh, that some are preaching in the future that's not in our future at all. They were the fulfillment of God's end of the covenant bargain to apostate Israel who were under the law. And if we don't understand that, we're not going to have the answers to understand why you have a lot of scriptures uh, that seem to be dealing with wrath throughout the New Testament and uh, especially in the book of Revelation. 
Revelation. Uh, we're consistently showing you, I believe, how they fit with the, uh, how that eschatology is really not just simply related to the end of this age, but how it related to the end of the age of the law that ended with the Mosaic system and that covenant coming to an end and the collapse of the temple, the destruction of the temple and all the stuff that was connected with that first system. I cannot keep going back and reiterating. Let me get into Re Revelation, the 12th chapter this week, and we're going to try to unpack some things. Let me first read it, and it says, uh, verse 1, Revelation 12, There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, upon her head a crown of twelve stars. She being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered, and there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having set seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath the place prepared of God, that they should feed her there for a thousand two hundred and threescore days. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, and he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times, and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent was cast out of his mouth, or the serpent cast out of his mouth, Water is a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just deal with the whole uh, idea that something really has begun to shift here. The first 11 chapters of the book of Revelation are really dealing with the victory of Christ and his triumph primarily. It's, it culminates though uh, somewhere after the destruction of this temple in the 11th chapter. Now all of a sudden there's a woman comes on the scene uh, uh, which I believe represents his bride. Now we'll get into several things here in just a moment to qualify what I'm saying, but from chapter 12 on through chapter 22, uh, it is not just dealing with primarily the victory of Christ over his enemies, but it is dealing with the triumph uh, of the church over her enemies. Uh, 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 ending with it, the glorious establishments of God's holy temple, which is us. God removes a natural temple and he gives birth to a spiritual temple. 
In the old covenant, God lived in a natural building. In the new covenant, what? Know ye not, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I love how the Message Bible says it, and you've heard me quote this a bunch of times uh, through this program. In Revelation 21, the Message Bible says, Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He's made His home with men. That's been God's dream since Adam lost that fellowship, was let them build me a house so that I can dwell among them. God realizes His dream uh, throughout this book of Revelation when it culminates with God living in his tabernacle. Behold, God has moved into the neighborhood. And then he said, uh, behold, I make all things new. When God moves in the neighborhood, when God moves into your life, he begins to a major renovation program. He starts from the inside out to transform us and to renew us and to re re renovate us. So the second half of the book of uh, Revelation covers much of the same ground that the first part does, except that this time it's not just, in, it's not just involving the work of the head, it is involving the work of his body as well. And you will see several icons that are used in the description of, uh, uh, of, the, uh, of what I'm talking about. Because the first part revealed the Lamb of God under various symbols. Glorious in power, opening the book of divine mysteries and avenging the martyred saints and uh, uh, exhibiting fearful judgments destined to come upon the enemies of God. Uh, executing the days of vengeance in fulfillment of the prophecies that were given in Matthew 24 and in the, in the book of St. Luke when he said, these are the days of vengeance, that upon them would come the blood of all, uh, of the righteous blood from righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias. Everything in the first part is primarily dealing with the view of God from the throne, from the King of kings and from heaven. As he sends his armies to destroy the defiant murderers of the prophets, and burns their city, according to Matthew 22, verse 7. But the second part reveals the church in conflict with worldly principalities and powers, surviving all the persecutions, triumphing by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. You see them triumphing over uh, the Babylonian harlot, which I believe is a religious system. And we will see as we make some comparisons in the uh, further teachings that we do later on, there's a tale of two cities. There is a harlot and there is a pure bride. Uh, there's an unholy city and there's a holy city. Uh, there's an old Jerusalem and there's a new Jerusalem. But uh, what happens is, is that uh, they, the second half of the book of Revelation is dealing with the participation of the saints in participating with the victory of Christ. One of the things that I believe is missing uh, is that we get out of balance when we preach simply the objective side of the gospel, which I call the way of grace. If you preach grace and do not preach faith, you will get people who are, are living lives like you see abusing grace. If you preach finished work without uh, preaching uh, our identification with that or our participation with it, uh, you're going to get a bunch of spiritual couch potatoes. But if you preach all faith and no grace, you're going to get sweat and labor. And it's not either or, it's both of them held in a careful tension. So we declare and we preach strongly the finished work of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Well, he defeated principalities and powers. What he healed uh, every last one. By whose stripes we are healed. Uh, uh, the victory that he won over the cross redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
But as we come on over into the book of Revelation, what we're going to see is he did all of those things and handed that victory over to a church so that not only did he defeat the devil, but he gives us authority over him. Uh, Not only did he uh, on Calvary's cross declare by whose stripes you are healed, but he gave to his disciples the authority to heal the sick and to raise the dead and to cast out devils. So what you see in the latter part of the book of Revelation is the participation of the body of Christ as we begin to operate in the victory and the triumph that was handed to us through the work of the cross as we begin to bind in earth what's already been bound in the heavens, as we begin to loose in the earth what's already been loosed in the heavens, as we begin to take the keys of the kingdom and do exactly what we've been called to do, and that is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Uh, I, I believe the gospel is one of the most powerful tools. You know, one of the things you see later in the book of Revelation is a sword coming out of the mouth of the one who's riding on a white horse to defeat all of his enemies. I believe that is a powerful picture of the preaching of the gospel that is going to touch the nations of the earth until it not only touches uh, 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 first century church, but throughout all ages uh, where every nation, every kindred, and every tongue are being impacted by the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of His grace. That's why we're passionate about being on television. And those of you who are partners with us are helping us to fulfill, I believe, that mandate. So the latter part of the book of Revelation, we're going to see a great participation of the saints and the body of Christ in that victory uh, as we enforce that victory. So the second part reveals the church in conflict with infernal and worldly principalities and powers surviving all persecutions and triumphing by the word of their testimony. And uh, after Babylon, the harlot falls and passes from view. uh, we, We see someone appearing as the wife of the lamb. There's a bride that comes on the scene. The tabernacle of God is with men. Glorious in her beauty, imperishable is the throne of God. It is the king giving authority to his saints to execute all that the new covenant has to offer as his vice regents in the earth. The latter part of the book of Revelation, again, uh, there's a progressive development towards climax. But what we're going to see is that uh, there's a repetition of a lot of familiar uh, concepts uh, and there's a lot of diversities in how they are portrayed. In other words, you're going to see, for instance, uh, uh, you're going to see a great red dragon in chapter 12, which we just read about, verse 3. It is the same angel of the abyss that's from Revelation 9, the 11th chapter. The 144,000 in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation are, I believe, the same 144,000 that are on Mount Zion in the 14th chapter. There's also a striking similarity to the trumpets. And you compare them and lay them right beside the plagues, they deal with very much the same thing. So it's really a repetition of a lot of the same concepts, but they're revealed from a different angle. Sometimes one is a heavenly view. Sometimes one is an earthly view. Sometimes it's difficult to tell which view it is. And that's where sometimes, you know, this, this book, without a question, is a very subjective book. It is very much, uh, you know, possible to see a lot of different interpretations to it. And you know what I think sometimes is not that one is necessarily right and the other wrong, uh, but there can be multiple, multifaceted, manifold uh, things that can be revealed from this book 
Uh, I think that the, the one mistake that we make is we do not compare spiritual things with spiritual things. And uh, we get into confusion when we try, in other words, to interpret this book, number one, out of the context of its uh, audience that it's relevant to. It was written to seven churches that were really in Asia. And then we try to interpret this book with the USA Today or CNN or relevant news stories. That becomes very subjective. But when we compare spiritual things with spiritual things, for instance, when we compare the fact that there's a lamb in this book and this lamb is also a spiritual icon in the book of Exodus, then we can see uh, you know, how uh, that, that lamb is not a physical barnyard creature, but it's a symbol of the redemptive work of Christ. In other words, we compare spiritual things with spiritual th things. And if you don't, you're going to get into fanciful, crazy ideas like, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're going to see, uh, uh, you're going to try to somehow make a connection with Apollyon, which was uh, uh, later on mentioned in the book of Revelation. And I've seen people try to make a connection with that with uh, uh, the Apollo space program. Uh, I've heard people try to make a connection from the word Uranus, which is uh, uh, the Greek word for heaven, and try to connect that to uranium. Uh, uh, you know, and the truth of it is, it's not, uh, you know, if, if uranium is the same as the Greek word for Uranus, that means that a nuclear bomb is what heaven is. That, that's crazy. Uh, that, at least to me it is. But when we compare spiritual things with spiritual things and we stay consistent with our principles of interpretation, we're going to begin to unlock this book. But what we're going to see is that there is a, a, a continual theme that is unfolded through the book of Revelation. Now, let me just, because uh, uh, it, it's, it's amazing how quickly time passes. But the first thing that's mentioned here in the book of Revelation in the 12th chapter, verse 1, is that there is a, a great wonder in heaven, a great sign. Uh, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon is under her feet, and upon her head is a crown of 12 stars. The concept, first of all, of a sign. Now, when I see a great sign, what it's saying is, okay, you can have a lot of little signs and little print, but a great sign is like, don't miss this one. It's a big sign. It's a great sign in heaven. Now, a lot I'm going to say about this over the next couple of weeks, but the, first of all, the concept of a sign comes from uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse number 10, where here's what the Lord says. It said, Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called, and, and, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now I think that's first of all, he says, here's what a sign is. There's a great wonder in heaven. Now before I can... Man, there's so much to unpack. Let me just read it to you from my notes because it helps me make it uh, much more concise and quick. I wrote this in my notes. I said, first of all, he is still Emmanuel. God is still with us. One of the things I'm telling you, if I could just get this, if I could just get us to wrap our heads around this and fully get a revelation of it, I mean, God is with us. We keep on waiting on a king to come. And that king might just be living inside of us. 
Emmanuel, what part of God with us don't we understand? God is here. He is present. He is, somebody shows up in the services when the glory of God is manifest. It's not because God uh, just all of a sudden decided uh, to physically appear, but uh, he, he lives and resides inside of you and I. Emmanuel, that's one of the main concepts of the new covenant. God is with us. He lives in us. Now, let me just read this again from my notes. It says, in a book full of signs and symbols, the Spirit uses the idea of this being a great sign. In other words, it's a very important thing to note. The main symbol in this context is a woman, which should be a familiar biblical image. Picturing the church, the people of God, it should also remind the reader of a consistent theme throughout the Word of God, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, of a woman who gives birth to a son, who ultimately bruises the head of the serpent. Consistently throughout the Scripture, the woman is persecuted, while the ancient serpent tries to destroy the seed. The bad battle is always to try to destroy the seed. This image in Revelation is of a glorious church in her purity because she is in the image of her husband. In Revelation chapter 1, verse number 16, it said that Jesus, when it's talking about him, was clothed with the sun. Here he makes the comparison with his bride that she's clothed with the sun. His appearance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Also in chapter 10, please note that Jesus is clothed with the sun. He, he has a rainbow upon his head. He's clothed with the sun. So this woman is uh, clothed with the sun. I could read this to you also from Isaiah verse six, chapter 60, verse 1. Arise and shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And let me just go back and read this, and I'm going to try to finish this segment with, with this concept. Genesis 3, verse 15 said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel under the woman. He said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow, and thy conception and sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, what I see happening is, first of all, this is a picture of, of the whole, since it's a great sign, it is the consistent message of the message of the scripture from Genesis on that the seed of a woman is going to bruise the head of a serpent. And from the very outset of history, you see a dragon, or if you will, this ancient serpent, and the scripture doesn't leave any imagination in Revelation 12 to who this dragon is. It is that ancient serpent and Satan. So you always see uh, the Satan trying to destroy the seed. I believe that uh, what you see consistently throughout the word of God has been there's always been uh, an attempt to try to persecute the woman and to destroy her seed, whether it was, uh, you know, uh, whether it was, uh, you know, Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, and as soon as her child was born, Herod tried to destroy the seed, and Jesus fled into the wilderness, or literally into Egypt. We see uh, the seed being attacked in the book of uh, Exodus, when God got ready to bring uh, the children of Israel up out of Egypt 
The battle was for the seed, and Herod made a decree to go kill all the children from a certain age downward, but God preserved a seed by the name of Moses. You see that again in the book of Matthew, where Jesus comes on the scene, and Herod gives the decree to try to destroy the seed of this woman. And you see this battle is a battle that is an ongoing battle that's always been over the seed, uh, trying to destroy the seed. And uh, But, uh, you know, God all Always raised up. You, you see women throughout the scriptures, whether it's Hannah in the book of Samuel, who gives birth to a deliverer who's going to bring salvation. See, what I see is a great picture here of redemption's story. From Genesis all the way through Revelation, where it will have its ultimate consummation, that what all of these women are a great sign of is the victory of a seed that's going to come from a woman that's going to bruise the head of the serpent. And what I think is incredibly powerful in the book of Revelation is that this man-child is set to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And once again, I believe that's talking about Jesus, but not just Jesus alone, but Jesus as head and us as the body is he's using us to bruise the head of the serpent as well because he says in Revelation chapter 12, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And so our, our, our most powerful weapon is an understanding of what the blood of Jesus did for us. We still stand in a day, I believe, when there's a battle for our seed. Our, our nation is being ravaged and our children are at risk. And there's an on, there has an ongoing battle sometimes between uh, the seed of the woman and this serpent, because if he can stamp out the seed, that's why I believe it's important as parents that we pray with our children, that we get them in the house of God, that we get the Word of God in them, that we be the parents God has called us to be, that we teach them the finished work of the cross, that we teach them about the blood of Jesus, because it is the blood of Jesus and our identification with that through the word of our testimony that causes us to defeat the enemy. I hate it that I'm out of time, but I'm just about out of time. So just take a moment to write to us and uh, call the number on the screen. Uh, if you can help us with a one-time gift or become a partner with this ministry. We really need your help, and uh, we appreciate those of you who have stood with us because that's what helps us and enables us to take the gospel around the world. And you know we are breaking new ground, and if you appreciate it, don't sit on the sideline, wait on someone else to do it. Help us to uh, take the gospel. Help us to continue uh, what I believe is what we're teaching about, and that is to maintain a victory that's been handed to the church. I believe it's a great day for us, not a doomsday, a great day. Become a part of something huge. Call that number on the screen. God bless you for tuning in. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.